Welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we talk about sustainable investing and how your portfolio reflects your values. Do your investments seek accountability from corporations that govern more and more of our society and even the lives we lead? Listen in as we explore the question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle from Horizons Sustainable Financial Services. How are you, Kim? I'm great. How are you today, Eric? I'm doing fantastic. I'm still riding high from our last podcast. We got into it and got deep into it, even though there was, I think, 17 things the UN, the goals, right? 17 goals the UN has yeah, accomplished in the next 10 years or so? 17 Sustainable Development Goals, yeah. Yes, we yes, talked yes. about two, but... yep. So We're going to go in a little bit different direction today. Perfect. So, audience member, if you have not heard that, that is the first in a series that Kim's going to be doing on a monthly basis. And so, once a month, it'll be about the UN goals, and then the other podcast during the month will be something different. And that's what today is, something different. What are we covering? Yeah. So, today we're going to talk a little bit about it, the environmental factors of our food system and how that relates to investing. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's where we're going to go. Uh, I think, well, if, if the folks who are listening today have heard our first podcast where Johan and I introduced ourselves, they may remember that I'm a runner, kind of a, an obsessive runner. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, that's that's my thing. And uh, when it when you're a runner, one of the things you really pay attention to is your health and your food. And so I was thinking about that and trying to think about my topic for our podcast today. And I thought, let's talk about our food systems, um, which are kind of, well, how do I put this? They're kind of, kind of messy. Broken? (laughs) Yeah. You know, some of our food systems are a little broken. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I, I I was recently, well, not recently, it's kind of a long-term thing. I was training for the Chicago marathon, which was a couple weeks ago. And, I, I didn't get to run it, which is kind of dis- disappointing because I injured my foot. So I'm going to run it next year. It's my goal. But when you're when you're training for something big like that, you really pay attention to your food and what you're putting in your body. Mm-hmm. And you really start to think about where does your food come from and what are you eating and how does that affect your run? And, you know, when you're when you start running 15 miles and 16 miles and 17 miles at a time, you know, it, it, you have to really think about your nutrition. And so, um, so I've really thought a lot about that. And so I wanted to kind of talk about that and, you know, and, and how the environment that we live in is, is affecting our food systems. And so we're going to talk about that today. All right. Where do we start? This is a big topic. It is a big topic, but um, we can make it kind of simple. But, you know, I've always been a gardener. My mom Mm -hmm. taught me how to garden when I was really little. We we had a garden and, you know, back in the day, it was an organic garden, but nobody really talked about that, you Mm -hmm. know, back in the 70s. And, you know, so I, I learned to grow organically. And, you know, I believe that organic food is healthier for you. We, we didn't put a lot of chemicals in our gardens back, th- back then. We didn't spray things on our f- stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, but my mom would take me out there and we would pick, we literally pick the bugs off stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we, that's what we would do, right? And, and then she taught it, me right? how and, and to... And we still eat it. 
that's the thing is that yeah. there could be a bug would just flick it off, right? Yep. And then, you know, rub it on our shirt yeah. and, eat, and it. eat it. Yeah. And there's not a problem. <laughs> no, we would pull the carrots out of the garden and wipe the dirt off and eat them. Yes. Yeah. No, nothing yeah. wrong with that. Right. That's what we would do when we were kids. And um, it was fine because there wasn't a lot of, there were just, we just didn't put chemicals in that dirt. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what we would do. Um, and, you know, but a, the, a lot of the produce we buy in the grocery store is conventionally grown. You know, and you wonder, you know, people are like, well, what's the problem, right? Well, there's just kind of a lot of problems with that. <laughs> you know, so what if you just think about, um, you know, tomatoes and, um, I'm just going to give you one example, but why sometimes conventional produce is a problem. They pick tomatoes when they're green and they do that because they don't want them to bruise uh, in Mm. in the transportation process. Right. So you don't buy them green, you buy them red. What, how, but how do they get them red? You know, because you know, they have to transport them hundreds and sometimes thousands of miles. Right. So the way they get them from this hard green, product to red, which, you know, if you've ever eaten a organically ripened, vine ripened tomato and the store-bought tomato, if you've compared those two, there's no taste comparison, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, and, uh, yeah. but yeah, but they, they, they actually ripen them with ethylene gas. The what? And it's, it's ethylene gas. That's how they ripen them. Wow. They expose them to ethylene gas. And, and you're like, oh, my God, what is that? Well, actually, it's, it's actually a naturally occurring substance that tomatoes themselves actually produce in much smaller quantities. To, that's how they ripen themselves. However, it's a lot. But, so they just, what, they just put them in a the big chamber and just fill it with gas? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, and they they blast this um, this ethylene gas on them to ripen them. And you know, while there have been studies to see, you know, I don't know who's doing these studies, but you know, government, whatever, they're you know doing these studies. There's there's actually no conclusive studies that show whether or not these levels will increase your risk of you know cancer or not to the exposure of the ethylene gas. You know, we don't know, right? But I, for one, am not sure about yeah. it, right? Yeah, so. you think, it, I know they're not going to have a bunch of windowsills, right, that they're going to do this, but that's what my mom did, right? Right. If, if we picked something a little early because we had to, maybe there's freeze coming and something just mm-hmm. didn't get ripened in time, we'd pick it and we'd yep. have half a dozen, dozen tomatoes sitting on the windowsill and they could be there for four, five, six, seven, eight days. Yep. And, and then they'd ripen, eventually right? Eventually they'd be ripe and, hey, this one's ready to eat. You can you can touch yep. it, and your finger kind of pushes in a little bit. We're done. Yep, but you can't do that with a million tomatoes. Well, that's a big yeah. windowsill, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So so that's what they do to to hasten the um, ripening of fruit, vegetables, that kind of thing. So there's there's that problem. You know, I get that they they you know they have to pick it green. They've got to transport it. They don't want it to be bruised. People don't like ugly fruit, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they don't like their ugly vegetables. There's really nothing wrong with it. You know, but that's what they do. You know, then there's this whole transportation of produce. You know, it, our tra- our produce comes from hundreds and thousands of miles away mm-hmm. um, across borders. And, you know, then we think about the greenhouse gas emissions of all of the food that we're having transported from so far away. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then this is another issue that people actually probably have never thought about, but... It, it can be a big issue, and it's it's something 
people don't want to think about, but farm worker labor sometimes amounts to slave labor and the wages that farm workers are paid. Mm. Maybe not here in this country, but in some underdeveloped countries, that is a huge problem. Yeah. So, you know, they get paid the equivalent of $50 a week, but then they're charged room and board. Guess how much that's charged? Mm. You know, that's $50 a week for their food and their room and board. So they really are not making any money. They can't move up. They can't move out. They can't go anywhere. So that that is a huge problem. Yeah, it's yeah. it's amazing. And this isn't exactly all agriculture, but um, my parents lived in Costa Rica for a while, and they had a, a gentleman, Nettie, who would do all their their landscaping, and he worked for three families: my parents, their and two of their close friends. But Nettie was from Nicaragua, and Nettie slept in a uh, a very long building with about fifty other guys on cots. Uh, because they all came up from Nicaragua to work in Costa Rica for about a dollar an hour compared to the 40 cents that they would make in Nicaragua an hour. And Nettie had workers that would work his his property in Nicaragua to help keep it clean while he was gone because he would be able to pay them and take care of his entire family with what he made in Costa Rica. Um, and that was a lot with with gardeners and people that are working on farms, they would make more money in another country and just travel over there because the wages were so much different, but they're still so low. And so, yeah, I mean, just amazes me that, you know, that, that this isn't, I mean, we talked about on the last podcast, right? The UN is trying to do some things about this, which is good. So go back and listen to that one because you'll you'll hear some positive things while I'm being negative, I guess. I got to get out of the negative thing. It's a a problem. It is. Yeah. Fair wages is a a huge problem. And, you know, we think about... You know, we can get political for a minute. It's my podcast. I can do that. But, you know, there are people who complain about certain segments of society who they feel are taking jobs here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, a lot of those folks are simply farm workers. And many of them are undocumented. Yes. And I will say how many U.S. citizens are going to go out and do the backbreaking work of a farm worker in this country. I've picked strawberries for two summers. I have two. Two summers. Never again. Yep. It is hard work. (laughs) The last time I picked strawberries was on a raised bed that my dad built because he wasn't going to bend down either (laughs) because Mm -hmm. he, he made some long raised beds and he grew a bunch of great strawberries on his little farm area. And that was the best thing ever, but that's not where they naturally grow. And that's not where these workers are bending over constantly all day long in hot sun for all sorts of different food items that grow on the ground. Right. Yeah. No, it is hard work. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And, um, yeah. And nobody wants to do that work, but if that's the work you're going to do to make a living, more power to you. And I hear the comments all the time. Uh, you know, I'm in Nebraska. I know you're in New Mexico. I think you're going to find this in pretty much every state, but you hear the comments all the time about the roofing crews who's up there putting the roofs on the houses, especially in our area after hailstorms or, mm. you know, damage has come to the roof by wind or, or, you know, not tornadoes necessarily that takes more than the roof, but you know what I'm saying? The roofs are damaged. Yeah. They get replaced. And the crew that comes in is almost entirely Hispanic. Mm-hmm. I will tell you this. I have never seen a harder working group of people in my life. Right. They came, they did amazing quality work. They were done in a day and they did it in, 
in 96 to 98 degree temperatures on asphalt roof. Nobody That's hard wants work to too. It's an unbelievably difficult work. I've re-roofed a garage and a house. Never again. No. <laughs> I won't do it, you know? No. Uh, so, no, I, whoever's complaining, they can just, well, this is your podcast. I won't say it. So They can do it. Yeah, yeah, please. Come <laughs> yeah, do it, right? There you yeah, go. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. They can do it. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so another issue uh, around our food system, <clears throat> and I briefly mentioned this in Podcast 11, is the loss of biodiversity of our food system. And why is this important? Mm-hmm. Food security. Um, it, and one of the the most serious concerns of the of the food and agricultural department in um, in this country and and it should be around the world too if we don't make a big shift we will lose as much as half of all of our plant species it will face extinction it just will wow. um, because you know plant species animal species they're dying off with climate change they are um, why is the loss of biodiversity in our food system important. Let's go back to the potato famine. What happened? Because they did not have a diversity in the potatoes that were being planted in the crops in Ireland, Mm -hmm. the first year when there was a blight on the potatoes, they lost 70% of their crop in the first year of that variety of potato that they were planting. Mm. The next half dozen years in a row, each year they lost 50% of the crop. You cannot feed a country when you're losing 50% of your crop over the course of a seven-year period. It led to massive famine and many, many, many people who died. So if you don't have diversity in your crops, meaning you only have one or two varieties of potatoes or a single crop that you're essentially feeding people, people are going to die if you have a blight on that crop. So that's why you need food diversity, biodiversity in a crop. Hmm. What are we feeding mostly now? Corn. What comes from corn? (laughs) So many food products. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's not just the corn that we eat, but corn syrup that we sweeten things with. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, corn feed. Feed for, corn, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, and, you know, we're making so many products out of corn. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a big problem. We have to keep the biodiversity in that product. Well, and that's, it, I mentioned I'm in Nebraska, and it, it's corn or it's soybeans, right? Because yeah. in the last podcast, you talked about rotation. And, and yes, they do have to rotate crops because you can't just grow the same thing over and over and over again. It'll suck all the nutrients out of the soil. So they rotate. But truly, they're only rotating those two crops for almost the entire state. (laughs) So there's not a whole lot of diversity here uh, besides that and the cows that are wandering around. So, right. I, I I tell people this, um, I've only been to Nebraska once and, and I drove through there. Oh, so that was plenty. (laughs) Yeah. And I I drove through there driving across the country and my, this is my um, perception of Nebraska. You, you drive, it's kind of, you know, rolling hills, right? And you drive and you just see corn, 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 tree, Corn, corn, corn tree. That was yeah. that was what it was like. It's just it was corn everywhere. Yeah, and they're not big trees, and they're not <laughs> nope. and, and they're not big hills. So it's it's really no. just flat corn. Oh, look, soybeans. Oh, yeah. corn, <laughs> corn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, a- another problem in our food system is deforestation. You know, we are raising forests to increase cropland. 
Um, and, and that's a problem because when we take out our forests, we reduce our ability to take carbon out of the atmosphere. Mm. And that is a problem. Um, so that's one problem. Um, you know, when, when we increase our cropland, you know, we're also not using that land more efficiently again, cause we're, we're taking out our ability to reduce the carbon in the atmosphere. You know, when, when we're, it's not just cropland, but we're also using that land for cattle, you know, and we talked about the not rotating of crops. Here's a, one of the things that I find problematic, you know, when we're, when we have cattle land versus cropland, you know, if we're rotating and we're, we're using our land for biodiversity and we have different crops, that's great. I, for one, am going to advocate, and we'll talk about this a little bit, eating less meat. We don't have to eat no meat, but I'd like to see us eat less meat. Did you know it takes 1,800 gallons of water to make one pound of beef? What? And it takes, yes, 1,800 gallons of water to make one pound of beef. And it takes 108 gallons of water to make one pound of corn. Hmm. That's a lot of water. I've never heard that before. Yep. Google it. (laughs) (laughs) I trust you. I trust you. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's one pound of beef. A cow weighs a lot more than a pound, right? Oh, oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if you multiply that out, and I didn't multiply it out. I did one time not too long ago because we were having this discussion. Um, Actually, I was visiting my son in... um, in Las Vegas, and he took me to a vegan restaurant, and they had that statistic on a little table card, and I was like, what? That can't be true. So we Googled it, and we looked it up, and then we multiplied that by the average size of a cow, and we were horrified by how much water one cow used in a day, and and I, I'm not even going to... I didn't even like... You know, write down that statistic so we could go by. T- I probably should have because I think people would be probably horrified about how much, you know, um, creating a pound of beef, you know, over the lifetime of a cow would actually use, how much water they would use because it's a lot, you know, and then literally it takes 108 gallons of water to for a pound of corn. So, yeah, we need to reduce our land use. We need to u- reduce our water use. We need to use less, we need to put less carbon into the atmosphere. And we will do that with crops, mm-hmm. with vegetables, with fruit over cattle, for example, um, over meat products. And so that is, that is an issue. And, and I will talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so there's, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I'm a numbers guy. 3.6 yeah. million gallons of water for a cow. Yeah. Say that again. 3.6 million gallons of water to to raise one cow beef beef cow yeah huh three yeah <sighs> over three million gallons to raise a cow yeah a single cow yeah that's wow. a lot of water that's a, that's a lot of water you think yeah. they'd be bigger watering that much but the cow yeah you think so <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah. goodness yeah yeah it's a lot yeah. Uh, so there's another thing about our food system that we we have to think about, and that is re- reducing waste. People don't really think about this, but I don't know, maybe they do. I do. Food waste in landfills. Mm. We throw away a lot of food oh, yeah. in this country. Yeah. And it does produce methane in the landfill if we throw it away. So one, 
we need to compost. Yes, cattle produces a lot of methane as well, and it is more. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to think about what we're doing with our food waste. One, we need to not waste food. Two, if we are not eating that food, it needs to be composted. It needs to be recycled. It needs to be reused. Because if we don't eat that food, um, it can be reused. It can make the food that we are going to eat better. Mm. And so that is important. There is a nonprofit here in Santa Fe. I'm going to give them a little bit of a shout out. I didn't warn them about this, but I think this is great. They're called Reunity Resources. And they have been collecting food waste from our schools, um, from some of the restaurants in town, and they have been taking that and recycling it and making compost out of it. And now, um, I think it's been almost two years, they bought our local community farm. And so now they're actually producing and selling to the local community produce, and and this is something I love. So in their their local um, houses, the, the houses nearby. So the and and this is on um, what we would call the lower income side of town. People can come and buy produce at low cost from them. Hmm. If you go and buy from them at the farmers market on the wealthier side of town. It costs you more. Oh, good. I love it. Yeah. So so people who go to the farmer's market will pay a little bit of a premium to buy produce from them. But if you live on the, um, the uh, lower income side of town and you come and buy from them um, from the local community farm directly, you will pay uh, a lower price for their local organically grown produce, um, which they are growing with the compost that they are creating and they will, they also bag that compost and they sell it. Interesting. To help now, support. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how, you know, again, I'm, I'm sure they have all sorts of information on how good their compost is. I don't know how they would make it with recycled food, but I had heard quite a few years ago about a report and I, I watched a, a, it was on the news, I'm sure mm-hmm. uh, about uh, some of the places in Vegas, the buffets that everybody knows Vegas is famous for yeah. uh, a lot of them started to participate in something where the somebody would collect, I don't know if it was an organization that collected this, this was quite a few years ago. I wish I did remember this, but they would take all the waste from the buffets and actually go and take it to pig farmers to feed the pigs nice, yeah. instead of them using grain and things like that. Now, do you have any thoughts on that? Have you seen that kind of recycling? Is that, do you think that's better than composting? Is it, would composting be a better idea? I, out of curiosity. I think both of those are great options because one, um, it's food feeding food, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because those are, I'm assuming, um, pigs that are going to be yes. then used as as food, which is great. So rather than going into the landfill producing methane, mm-hmm. which is then going into the atmosphere, it is being used, which is excellent. So so both of those are good options. I love it. Great. All right. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know about that program, but I think that's wonderful. So um, it's it's much better than just going into the landfill because one, it goes into a plastic bag, mm-hmm. which unless it's torn open somehow, it's not going to compost in any way, yes. which is which is a problem. So yeah. Yeah, and we I talked on the last podcast about the burger joint I worked for that I would watch yeah. them throw food away. 
Now, there's I, I believe there's a difference between the buffet style thing and and restaurants who yes. can then package that and give it to uh, groups that will feed homeless or low income families that will will have some sort of nutrition. Even though I'm not going to say that the burger joint had the best nutrition in all those burgers, but it's better than being hungry and it's better yeah. than not having anything. Um, now, the buffets I, I don't necessarily think that they need to be emptying the trays that haven't been completely emptied and sending those to, to folks. I think it's better to the, for the pigs because you never know whose little fingers have been in there. I have grandchildren. Right. I've seen them put their fingers in things. I'm, I'm just embarrassed. You go, come on. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And one of those, one of the reasons for that is, um, health department. Exactly. Laws. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. However, there are programs and I know we have them here in Santa Fe where, some restaurants or some food production locations mm-hmm. can take unused food. Restaurants, not as easily, um, but some food production places can take unused sold food that has not been touched mm-hmm. by people and donate it to the local food bank. Exactly. Yep. And so, I know there's organizations yeah. in New York that do that for the restaurants. They're able to pick yes. up food at the end of the night for restaurants and then take it and give it out. So, yes. And that is based on state laws, local laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it varies from state to state. So if you know what your state laws are um, and, and you know that can happen and you know a, a restaurant or an organization that is not taking advantage mm-hmm. of that, encourage them to do so because that falls under the next section, which is what can we do? All right. Absolutely. <laughs> and that is a uh, important piece. Um, you know, we, we don't want it going into the trash can uh, that if it can be donated, our local food bank is very active in that. So we know many of our local and, and, and even national chain grocery stores take um, unsold food and donate it to the food bank. So even, uh, many people don't realize this, um, canned food that is stamped, um, used by date can actually be donated to the food bank and used for a certain period of time, you know, you know, to, at the food bank. Um, I don't know what the time frame is, but it can go to the food bank and then be given out. So mm-hmm. even if it says, good until November of 2019, it, it can still go through the food bank and, and be given out to families. Um, so, so the, the local, um, grocery stores here are very active in doing that. Yeah. Um, that's, that's one of the federal things like that. Yeah. That's one of the federal issues that, that we, we know we have, or that I am aware of that we have, we have over 40 different ways to label food by freshness date or sell by or use by. And that's a huge problem because being that nobody truly has a handle on it, that's why each state is a little bit different. That's why each city is going to make different rules because they want people to be safe. And I get that. We we understand that, but there needs to be a, a date that's put on there. Please, for the love of God, throw this away. (laughs) Something, (laughs) a cutoff where you're like, no way, don't even open it. There's a problem, you know? Um, but yeah. that's one of the things that needs to be done. Uh, and I think people can find out what their state does and start to advocate, Hey, we need to do a better job of not wasting. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the no waste pieces is, is yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, and, and having some, 
across the board, here's some clear rules would mm-hmm. be helpful because it is, it does vary. Yeah. And then other things, you know, what we're doing here in the investment world is, is very important. And we want to yes. make sure people do understand that the shareholder advocacy piece is there mm-hmm. and happening. So we work on waste reduction. Um, we're working on cleaning up the cattle and the meat industry, you know, in terms of antibiotic use, um, you know, looking at all of those pieces where we're looking at cleaning up the farming industry, um, pesticide use, all of those pieces. Mm-hmm. And we're also working and have had some great successes in package reduction strategies. And people don't really think about that. But if you, you know, you think about going in and buying, um, you know, a, a packaged product, mm-hmm. especially in the produce section, why do you need to have three layers of plastic wrap on exactly. something? Exactly. You know? Yeah. So, so we've made some really good strides in, in all of those areas. Um, there's a lot more work to be done. Um, but again, you got to own shares of the company. You got to file the shareholder resolutions and as shareholders, we have to vote. So we're working on all of those. And we had a podcast about that not too long we- ago. Did so listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, this is one that um, I have recently made and not everyone can do this and not everyone should do this, but I um, recently became a vegetarian and um, I don't do it a hundred percent of the time and not everybody will or should, but we should reduce our meat consumption. Maybe you don't eat meat one day a week or two days a week. But we talked about how much water mm-hmm. that cow uses, right? So, um, you know, reduce your meat consumption. Um, maybe you don't do it once or twice a month. Um, I actually only eat meat once or twice a month now. Hmm. Or when you do, eat better produced meat products. Look for organic meat products. Look for free-range mm-hmm. um, meat products. So make the choice to... Um, look for better produced meat products and finally eat locally yes. if you can. Yes. Yeah. So it's not traveling so far and you can do that with both your meat products and your fruits and vegetables for a lot of things. Yep. So Absolutely. try to do those. Yeah. And, and you're supporting local economy. Absolutely. Which is another Because plus. dollars spent locally stay locally. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, yeah, those are, uh, I think, really uh, important things. Um, So, you know, in terms of the environmental factors, um, focusing on our food, um, it will increase the health in our body. It'll increase the health of our environment. um, And I think be much better for us on on a social and a sustainable level. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is... I, I've really enjoyed talking about this. I think this is something that's a, um, a deep passion for me now and um, something I really believe in. Yeah, me too. Food has always been a passion for me. Now I just got to work on the cutting down the meat thing, but I'm going to take it to heart because. Yeah. And I think if people can just start, um, you know, one meal at a time, one, one day a week, I think will make uh, an impact and, and that's what's important. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Kim. Thanks, Eric. You bet. And thank you all for listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Grego Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This will make it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And what a better way to win a bet 
than to ask somebody how much a cow, how much water a cow uses. And then you can share this podcast with them and then collect on that bet and, and go out for a nice vegetarian dinner, avoiding that cow. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Horizons Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing Podcast, the sustainable, responsible impact investing podcast that shows you how to get your voice heard. It's time to start investing like you give a damn. To ask a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast, email us at info at horizonssfs.com or join the conversation on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash horizons sustainable financial services or give us a call at 505-982-9661 don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available the companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment only you and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you and your situation horizon sustainable financial services is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of new mexico and other jurisdictions were registered or exempted the information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.